Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. All right, good morning. You guys doing all right? Good. Good, as John brings up my things. Thank you, John, for doing that. Uh, can I just have, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask something. If you are 18 to 35, man, I, look how tall I am. That's like the tallest like, stand ever. No, I, I got it. You, you, you want to hire? It goes off. Mm, yeah, no. I, that's awesome. If you're 18 to 35, would you just please stand up? Come on. You're 18 to 35. You're younger than 35. Holy smokes, that's fantastic. Get this, ever stand up? Stay stand up. Okay. Now give these guys a hand. Okay. Now I need, I need you to stay standing up for just a second. I'm going to invite you into something, okay? In just a moment, you're going to sit down. When you sit down, will you pull out your phones, okay? Um, my phone number is, my phone number is 970, obviously, 201-1927. Super easy. 201, it's not on the screens because this isn't planned. 201-1927. I'm going to give you two things. You can call me whenever you want to. Okay? Number two. Number two. I think the Lord is doing something in your group age group. I think the Lord's getting ready to just explode your age group. And so coming out of spring break, I'm going to start a special leadership academy for people who are below 35 years of age. I'm asking you to consider that, consider being a part of that. It'll probably be Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. I'll make you breakfast. All of this is on the fly. People are like, how's he going to do that? I have no idea. (laughs) I literally have no idea. But I'm telling you, I think the Lord is on your age group, and I want to pour into you. And so that's my phone number. I know that that's an old way of getting hold of people. So you can text me, you can call me, and if you want my email address, it's just simply paul at dtvchurch.org. Okay? Before you sit down, let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, I ask you come in power on this age group, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would raise leaders out of them, that you would use them for your kingdom, and that, Lord, that this would be a new thing. It wouldn't be the old thing, but it would be the new thing. That it would be the new thing, God. And that you'd use them in this valley and you'd use them uh, in, in their generation. Every generation is responsible for their own generation. And so, Lord, fill them with your spirit. But, Lord, would you reveal to them who you are? Not, not, as their par- not, not like what, they, what you did for their parents, Lord, a new thing. Fill them with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So right now, if you want to text me, if you want to pull your phones out and you want to text me something during service, my phone's in the back. I think it's offline. If it starts going off, just turn it off. But 970-201-1927. You can catch me. I know you're not on Facebook anymore, but I'm still on Facebook. And uh, all those things. And so, okay, is that cool? All right. All right. Before we get going, I want to, I was just, this has become really important to me and it's become really important to me 
um, because I think it's important to the Lord. And when I say it's important to the Lord, as soon as I say, tell you what it is, you're going to go, really? Did you know that actually Jesus, out of any topic that Jesus talks on in Scripture, he talks more on money than anything else? I don't know if you knew that. More than forgiveness, more than how to get to heaven, more than who he was. He talks about money. There's 2,000 there's 2, passages in the Bible that have to do with money. And so this past year, the Lord started convicting me on the way that I was leading in this area. Not that we're doing anything bad, but I just hadn't put enough emphasis on just how important God speaks about, or Jesus speaks about this topic, and how much Scripture speaks about this topic. And I wasn't even, as a pastor, I wasn't even taking time to say, Lord, would you use the tithing and giving that comes into our church for your kingdom? We weren't doing that in service. And so this really isn't a, a plea for your dollars. This isn't this like manipulation on money. This is literally something that the Lord's been speaking to me about. Now, here's the interesting part. I don't know, have you ever been around somebody, and I'm not even talking about money. Have you ever been around somebody that just gets it? Like, I have certain podcasters that I listen to because on the personal subject, there's a guy by the name of Kerry Newhoff, and he gets pastors. So I listen to Kerry Newhoff all the time. Because when I listen to him, I walk away and go, man, that guy gets it. That guy gets it. There is something about a person's Christian faith that if you get it, like right now, you understand what I'm talking about. And if you don't get it, you're like, oh, he's talking about money. No, no, I'm not. Like there is a spiritual principle that happens to people who become givers to the kingdom of God. Not to just, not to just any 501c3 and not to just any like boys and girls club. Those are great. And as believers, we should be impacting those places. But there is a spiritual thing that happens in a believer's life that when you start getting it and you start giving, like you and the Lord will figure out what that amount is, but you start giving out of your spiritual practice, that it is like the Lord just blesses that. It is actually the only thing in Scripture where Jesus says, hey, test me in this. It's the only thing. There's only one place in Scripture where Jesus says, test me in this, right? And so here's what I'm doing. I believe that there's a spiritual principle that I have not been honoring in our church, and that is to take a moment to just say, we're going to pray over our tithing and offering, okay? So we're just going to do that right now. And so, Lord, we just come before you. Lord, this is the one area that you said test you. And so, Lord, I don't believe that this is a test this morning. But, Father, we do want to honor you with our giving. And, Lord, we do want to pray over it and ask that you would um, um, bless it. Ask that you'd use it for your kingdom. Lord, that you would use the resources that come to this church in a way that impacts this community and impacts the world and that we can actually be a blessing to others. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to do that. We're in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. That's where we're going to be in just a minute. This is a very interesting section. I can't tell you the last time I spent this amount of time on this topic, on this particular, like, putting together a message. 
This message didn't come easy to me. And even when I'm done, you might go, well, huh, why did that not come easy to him? I'm just telling you it didn't. In Genesis chapter 10 and 11, you're going to see two things. Well, let me back up. In Genesis chapter 9, Noah gets his family off the boat, and God, God turns back around, and he, um, he reiterates the very command that he gave to Adam and Eve. Okay? So we're working our way through Genesis. Remember, we're working our way through Genesis. We'll be in Genesis all year long. Genesis was written by Moses to the children of Israel as they were in the desert. And it was way, the way that Moses came along to help them reorient, to help them know why they were going where they were going and why, what it was going to take to get there. And so in order to reorient, sometimes the very best thing you can do is not start with where you're at, but sometimes the very best thing you can do is start from where you came from. Is that okay? If, if you're of a certain age, you can look back and you can be like, oh man, I remember when we used to have $5 at the end of every month. And that story is a, your way of saying, isn't it amazing how God has grown us and God has blessed us? That's, that's, that's your story. Like, I can remember when we didn't have any money, or I can remember when we were just like dating, and now we have kids, and now we have grandkids, and now we have, right? And it's your way of saying, back then, this is the way God's moved in our life. So this is what Moses is doing. He's telling the story. He's telling the story. And so Noah gets off the boat with his family. They make a sacrifice to the Lord in Genesis chapter 9 verses 1 through like 15, and in the middle of that sacrifice, God calls them back to what he had called Adam and Eve to, and he says, now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. He's, he's saying, he said, okay, now your family, be fruitful and multiply the earth. And then when you get to Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10 walks you through the family orientation of Ham, Jepheth, and um, Moses' sons. Jepheth, Ham, and um, Shem. And it says, and this was the father of this, and this was the father of him, and this was the father of him, and this was the father of him. Now, here's what's interesting. Out of that list, out of that family tree, comes 70... 70 of the current countries in the world today. Currently, there are 195 countries in the world, and out of that list, that list we find in Genesis chapter 10, 70 countries today are tied directly to that list. And you see, this is really interesting, because what we find is we find in Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11 are the beginnings again. They're the beginnings. They're the beginnings of countries, they're beginnings of families, and they're the beginnings of languages. The very, very first languages. Scientists believe, scientists believe that all language came from one place. At one time, all languages in the world, all languages in the world, oriented back to one singular language, singularity. It's called pro, proto-indo. The very first language, Proto-Indo, it just literally means the first language. And currently today, 
There are 7,139 known languages. Isn't that fascinating? And, and scientists believe that these moments come back, that, that these moments come back to this space where you can take science back to one language, you can take it back to one person, one, one people. You know, I think this is interesting. I have a friend who says it this way. He says, the Bible doesn't prove science as much as science continues to prove the Bible. I'll say that again. This, the Bible doesn't prove science as much as science just continues to prove the Bible. I, I, I'm always amazed. I'm 56. I turned 56 a couple weeks ago. And at this point in time in my life, there's these things that happen. And there's these things that like people are like, well, the Bible says this, and we've never found that. And the Bible says this, and we've never found that. And th at this point in time, I'm just like, just wait. <laughs> just wait. There's been a new discovery around Noah's Ark, Right? Well, there's no such thing. We've never seen proof. There's no such thing. And then, like, and then pretty soon you're like, oh, there's the proof. Right? It, it's interesting um, that uh, uh, the National Academy of Science came out with this statement here in 2020. That it said, the universe came into being from a single, unimaginable, hot, dense point. It didn't occur in an already existed space. What they're, what they're saying is, like, like there's this moment where all of a sudden the universe wasn't, and all of a sudden the universe was. And in Christianity, we would call that Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created, boom. You, you, can, you can believe however God created, but there's this point where, where scripture points back and Genesis points back and says, yes, there was a moment where the universe didn't exist, and then all of a sudden there was a moment where the universe did exist. Scientists from MIT, you can bring up this slide, scientists from MIT believe that all families came from one family. According to Science America, October 5th, 2020, they said, in 2004, mathematical modeling and computer simulations by a group of statisticians led by Douglas Road, then at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, indicated that our most common ancestors probably lived no earlier than 1400 BC. And at this date, called the genetic isopoint, the family trees of any two people on earth now, no matter how distantly related they seem, trace back to the very same set of individuals. You see, I love that. It's just another way of science saying that, like, the Bible, like, you, when you look at science, the more you're going to find God. When you look at science, the more you're going to find God. The reason this is important, because Genesis chapter 11 takes us to this interesting moment where all of a sudden we had one language, and then all of a sudden we have many languages. It's called the Tower of Babel. It reads like this, if you have your Bibles. Please flip over if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens, but it's just so much better when you have it in front of you. It says, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, and they settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. 
Then they said, Come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. They will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. I think this next sentence may be one of the very most fascinating scriptures in all of scripture. I've thought this for years. You're going to hear me say, if you stick around long enough, you're going to hear me say, and this is one of my favorite scriptures. And I say that a hundred times a year about a hundred different scriptures. And I read them like, wow, that was fascinating. But this next um, sentence has fascinated me for years. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Like, you just pause on that for a second. You get a group of people that are united and speak the same language, and they can virtually do anything. Like, that, that's an amazing, amazing statement. Then he says, come let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. So up to this point, there are not, there's only one language. And God comes along and says, we're going to confuse their languages. And we're going to give them many languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And that way the Lord scattered them all over the world. And they stopped building the city. That, that is why the city was called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way he scattered them all over the world. So there's this thing that's going on in, Luke, uh, in Genesis chapter 11. The first thing is this is that the people are gathered together and they're united in the same language and they're united in the same place. And then they begin to build a city, which means they begin to work together. And when they begin to work together, they begin to build a tower. Now, here's what's super interesting about this particular um, season in life. In this season in life, that most cities, when when they would come together, the very first thing they would build is a temple right in the middle of the city. I don't know if you've ever um, traveled into South America or Central America, or maybe you could travel into Europe. Europe has all kinds of churches all over the place, but generally there's one church that's at city center square that like they build the church first and then they build the city around it. If you bring up this next side, this, this, this temple that they're building is called a ziggurat. And a ziggurat was literally just like a a pretty simple temple. It kind of looks like uh, the first go at maybe some pyramids or something like that. But you'd you'd find these ziggurats, you'd find them in the Middle East, but you'll also find them in Central America and South America. And that's what a ziggurat looked like. And so then they had built the ziggurat, and this was a place that was a place of worship. And the reason this is fascinating to me is because this group of people were actually called to do work, and they're doing work. This group of people were actually called to gather together, and they're gathered together. They're supposed to scatter among, amongst the world, but they're also supposed to repopulate it, and God loves cities. Like, that when we get to heaven, we're all going to be in a city. Did you realize that? Like, we're not going to be in these rural little communities off, you know, 25 miles from heaven. We're going to be gathered in a city. And God loves cities. And so this group of people have gathered in a city, They're building a temple, and these temples, these ziggurats, were built for one purpose. It wasn't just a place to worship. The whole purpose of a ziggurat 
was so that God could come down from heaven. The goal was that they would be built up into the clouds, and that in the clouds, God would come down from heaven to dwell with them inside their city. It's, it's actually quite beautiful. And so when you pay attention to this, in some ways, these men and these women are doing exactly, exactly what God's asked them to do. They're multiplying, they're working, they're building cities, they put a temple right in the middle of the city so that they can worship God, and that we're supposed to be building this temple so that God can come down, and when they build the temple, God does come down. He comes right into their presence. He, he comes in, he says, let's go see what they're doing. And so then you pause and you say, then what's the problem? Like, from the outlook, from looking from the outside, you look and you go, but they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. What's the problem? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Where you're like, why am I in trouble? I think I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. You see, here, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Isn't it interesting? That you can be united around the wrong things. You have this group of people that they are united but it's interesting that you can be united around the wrong things. We place so much emphasis on our current culture. We place so much emphasis on the value of unity. You know what I'm talking about? Every time you turn around, you hear on the news, unity, 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 unity. And we have so much disunity. Isn't it amazing that you can be focused on unity and never get unity? Can I just say, unity isn't always a good thing? Can I also say that unity can be overrated? Oh wait, we don't like this talk so far. Because you can be unified around the wrong things. Let me give you some examples. The greatest civil war that America, the greatest war that America was ever in was the Civil War. And we had one group of people that were united to help free slaves, and we had a whole other group of, that were united around keeping slaves. And that fracture caused the most Americans to die. More Americans died in the Civil War than in World War I, World War II, and Vietnam all put together. Unity can be overrated. We can talk about something more recently, even though for some it's a long ways away, but my dad fought in World War II. My dad was in Germany. He went, in, he went into the war when he was 15 years of age. He was on the front lines when he was 16 years of age. And he was, the, the allied forces were fighting against the Axis forces, and they were trying to keep the Axis forces from taking over the world because they had a view of the world that did not align with the rest of the world. And in that season, the Germans killed at least five million innocent Jews. If you want to get a little closer to home, then let's talk about the 1960s. I know that's still a long ways from some, for some of you, but in the 1960s, the civil rights movement was based upon the idea 
that blacks and many others didn't have freedoms. That you literally could walk down a street and there'd be a water fountain that said, whites only, blacks only. And there was a space where there were certain Americans who were united around keeping certain races on the outside and allowing only certain people on the inside. You see, unity should never come at the expense of humanity. Anybody? All right. Boy, we're getting that down. We're going to have to learn some other moves, aren't we? You see, when God comes down that temple, and he says, let's go see what they're doing. What he actually comes down to is to examine their work. But in examining their work, he also is examining their hearts. He's examining their motives. They were unified. But they were unified around making their name great. They were unified in wanting to be famous. They were unified in thinking about themselves in wanting to impress everybody around them and show everybody around them how smart they were and how sophisticated they were. And there was this moment where they said, you know, like everybody's building cities and everybody's building cigarettes. Let's build ours that'd be so impressive that everybody would want to come and see what we're doing because we're better than others. Verse 11, they begin to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. Then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves. This isn't in my notes. May we never build a church for ourselves. The day that we have church for us, let's shut the doors. Church was never meant to be about us four no more. The day that the Holy Spirit sh stops showing up and lives stop being changed. Shut the doors. Go join the Boys and Girls Club. Go join 4-H. Go join United Way. There's plenty of clubs. The church isn't supposed to be one of them. The church is supposed to be a place that's a place where people's lives are changed. Where God's presence dwells. He says, then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. The problem was they were building a society of prideful, self-focused people. You see, this temple that they were building wasn't supposed to be a place so that they could get to heaven. It was supposed to be a place where God could come dwell with his people. That's always been the plan. You guys get that, right? Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, that hey, Eve is, is sitting there and she's, she's fooled into believing that if she takes of this fruit, she will become just like God and she will be able to ascend. 
The goal isn't to ascend. The goal is that God comes down and he dwells with us. His presence dwells with us. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, it, it wasn't, he wasn't saying, hey, just, just hold on for a second. I'm, I, well, I'll come back and get you and you can ascend with me. That is true. But between now and then, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And now the, the Holy Spirit won't just dwell with you. The Holy Spirit will dwell in you. You will be filled with the presence of God. And you will be the temple of the living God. God will live in you. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. He'll direct you. Philippians chapter 2. Paul literally takes the church. And he says, hey, listen, church. Be careful. Don't become prideful. Don't make this about you. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others. Each Sunday morning, I gather with a group of about 20 leaders right here in this space, right in this area. And we talk about the service, and we talk about how things are going to go. And then every Sunday, we we pray. We pray for each other. We pray for things that are going to happen. But you know what one of the prayers is every Sunday? Lord, that those that are bringing their friends this morning that you would impact them, that they would know you. That one of our deep, deep, deep desires at the Downtown Vineyard Church isn't just that we know Jesus, but all of our friends and all of our family and all of our neighbors and all of our city come to know him too. And we pray, Lord, would your presence fill this room? Would you change lives and change hearts? We pray it every week. The ultimate problem was they had become a society that you had united around the idea that they no longer needed God. They were capable individuals. They were smart. They were hardworking. They were self-reliant. And interesting enough, that sin didn't start in the garden. Sin started in heaven with an angel who was so prideful that he thought he could outdo God. And the very first sin... The very first sin we ever see in Scripture comes through Satan, who was an archangel, who was an angel who was over all the worship teams in in heaven. And he was filled with the sin of pride. Pride always desires to steal the glory of God. It always takes credit for what God has done. Pride is this space that holds in our hearts that instead of giving God credit, we just steal it. Somebody says, hey, man, you, man, you're like, I was so impressed with you. Like, you're a really good athlete. And you go, oh, thanks, man, thanks. Yeah, you know, thank you. And maybe we even hide it a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. God, God gave me the skills. But in reality, it's all about us. Pride steals the very, very, very glory that God should get from us and we take credit for it. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, everything comes from God. Pause on that for a second. Because there's this idea that we go, everything comes from God. Now make that really personal. Every blessing you've ever received came from the Lord. Every hardship you've ever been able to get through, you got through because of the Lord's goodness. Everything comes from the Lord. Everything exists by his power 
and everything is intended for his glory, that this morning, everything comes from the Lord. Here's the second thing that I want you to catch. Anytime we do the right things with the wrong motives, it always becomes the wrong thing. Isn't it funny that you can do things that seemingly seem like they're right? Like, it looks right. But if you're doing it with the wrong motives, it's wrong. Working hard, working hard is a part of God's plan. But when we get our identity from it, instead of giving it back to the Lord, it becomes the wrong thing. When all of a sudden you're working 16 hours a week because it makes you into somebody important versus making God into somebody important. Building strong cities is literally a part of God's plan. But when those cities have no desire to honor God, it becomes the wrong plan. Creating places of worship, churches, God's idea. But Jesus calls them a den of thieves when they start focusing on money and start focusing on how to get wealthy and stop taking care of the poor. You don't have to say amen to that, I will. You understand that, right? When churches stop doing the work of God in their community, they become the wrong institute. Unity is God's idea. But when unity becomes exclusivity, it is now no longer a place where God dwells. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I think one of the most profound scriptures in all of the Bible says, the people are united and they all speak the same language. And after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Because oftentimes, ununified unbelievers are actually more effective than divided believers. You see, if the church isn't unified, then you're going to find that um, unified unbelievers will actually become more effective than divided believers. Like the church is at its weakest when this room can't get along with one another. When this room gossips about each other, when this room talks bad about each other, when this room refuses to fix broken relationships, when this room um, decides that they won't forgive one another, unified unbelievers can actually be more powerful than divided believers. You see, the body of Christ has to do the work of unity, forgiveness, and mercy. Because when the church is unified, there's nothing like a unified church. When the church is unified, the poor get um, fed. When the church is unified, 
marriages get healed. When the church is unified, the sick get cared for. When the church is unified, the church becomes a place of hope. When the church is unified, then healing begins to happen. And people begin to wonder, how can they receive the living God that their lives would be redeemed and forgiven and shown mercy? There's nothing more powerful than a unified church. There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. You see, here's the final problem. They were trying to ascend to heaven without the work of God. So many people today in our culture are trying to get to heaven without actually submitting their life to, to the work of the Lord. They try to get to heaven by being good. You guys all know this, right? You've heard this, this thing a thousand times. I've heard it a thousand times. Come on, man, I'm a pretty good guy. You think, you think God would keep me out of heaven? Heaven isn't for good people. You realize that, right? Heaven is for sinners who have been redeemed by the work of Jesus. If you don't know that, that's just gospel 101. Like, that's gospel 101. Scripture actually says there's no one good. That's what Scripture says. There's no one good, not even one. You can't even be good. On your best day, you're good for a minute, and then you turn around and say, I can't believe I just did that. You can turn to your neighbor right now and say, he's talking about you, you're the not good one he's talking about. It's okay. It's all right. He's like, yeah, he's like, he's, he's talking. Like, you need to pay attention. Wake up, wake up, wake up. He's talking to you. As my sister said when she was little, my dad asked if she wanted peach pie, and, and, and my sister looked and said, I want peach pie. And she goes, well, you're going to have to be good today. And my, my sister, when she was little, she just looked at my dad and said, but dad, being good's hard. Like, that's hard. Like, you're asking me something I can't do. Not even for peach pie. Some people try to get to heaven by being nice. They're just nice people. They're not church people. They're not Jesus people. They're just nice people. But like you don't get to heaven by being nice. That's, that's one of the things that breaks my heart because like that sounds like a really good thing. Like we should just all be nice. Heaven isn't about nice. Heaven is about forgiven. Like have you, do you understand the work of Jesus? Some people try to get to heaven by working hard. Like uh, hard work. Just so you know, I love to work hard. I, I like working hard. I like waking up in the morning early, and I like staying up late. I don't mind it. Like, I like it. Here's the irony. You don't work your way into heaven. You accept your way into heaven. It'd be so nice if you could work your way into heaven. I'm a hard worker. Always have been. But a person doesn't work their way into heaven. You accept your way into heaven. You accept the work of Jesus. You don't create a way to heaven. Like, there's these, all these people are like, yeah, but you're trying to tell me that Jesus is the only way? Come on, only way? No, no, here, here, you know, we try to make up this thing like, like that's going to make me a bad person if I say Jesus is the only way. Actually, it, I would actually be a horrible person if I told you that you could get to heaven by making your own way to heaven. Because I'd be lying to you. 
that would make me a liar because I want, because I want you to like me. No, no, I, like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through the Son. Like this is, like if I tell you there's another way, it makes me out to be a liar. And it actually means that I'm more concerned that you liking me than believe in what Jesus said. John 14, 6 said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's what I'm going to conclude with. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And in just a moment, just as we opened with a common prayer, I'm going to close us with a common prayer of forgiveness. And so let me ask you some questions as we play these next song or two. Whose kingdom are you building? What are you currently united around that doesn't honor God? Let me ask you probably a harder question. Whose name are you trying to make famous? We live in a TikTok society, and everything's now about... It's so funny. I don't think I took a selfie my whole life until I turned 45. (laughs) Now I have about 10,000 of them. Look at me eating a cheeseburger. (laughs) It is honestly the stupidest thing ever. Like, just eat your dang cheeseburger. Put your camera down. Right? Whose kingdom are you building? Let me ask you a really hard one. Are you trying to work your way into heaven? Maybe you're trying to be good. Or have you accepted the way that God has already created for you to be in heaven? Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.